Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is a special edition. It is a flagship show as well as a post-game pod. And I am joined by the BFW's infamous, uh, infamous for being a Liverpool fan, among other reasons. Tom Adams, uh, how are you doing today, man? I'm, I, I know that your weekend got off to a terrible start after that Liverpool game, you know, but... Uh, now that Bayern has just maybe uplifted your spirits a bit, how are you feeling? They very much have uplifted my spirits. And as you uh, so joyously reminded me, I am also a Liverpool fan, but that is getting completely pushed to the side because it's just very, very hard to exist as a Liverpool fan these days. And I mean, there's just a lot of uh, good reasons to be excited as a Bayern fan right now. Finally, Schnitzel, we got our first Bundesliga win of 2023 on the heels of a very, very masterful performance in Mainz to advance to the quarterfinals of the day of April call. So for once, we're not getting eliminated earlier than we should have by virtue of Gladbach or Holstein Kiel or whoever it may be. So it feels nice for a change of pace to be prepared. Yeah, there's a reason we signed Jan Sommer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and I do feel bad for him today. I think he deserved to get a clean sheet. That's save right at the end, Schnitzel. Uh, that deflected shot where Delict, you could hear audibly, was uh, celebrating that save. I'm not yeah, sure who he took it, but yeah, today... Gravel at the top of his lungs, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, today, just a massive... I get... Um, I think it was uh, Phil Bonney who was on the uh, on the call for ESPN+, Plus, at least in the States, and he was saying, you know, the players after the full-time whistle, a little bit more relief than joy. That kind of feels like that, but I'll take it, you know, especially after the weekend I've been through just... Terrible, terrible, terrible results. Yeah, one hundred for my fanmanship uh, elsewhere, but from a Bayern standpoint, very good uh, to score another four goals uh, in a second straight match. And unfortunately, not keeping the clean sheet, but three points is three points, so we get back into the top spot after Union Berlin had provisionally leapfrogged us. But you know, it's going to be a tight race this season, a very, 100%. very tight race. And it was yeah. just good to see Kingsley Coman get on the score sheet. Uh, with his brace, albeit obviously that first goal, I think was very, very clearly a, a cross that was heading towards Muller. But, you know, Muller in typical Muller fashion, he can assist goals in a multitude of different ways. And I guess you could even call that like a uh, hockey a, assist. No, a yeah. Non, yeah, a I non-touch think, assist throwing off. Uh, I think Thomas Muller was definitely one of the most important players for buying this game. And his influence was phenomenal. Like, Obviously, the build-up to the first goal and the way he sent the defender the wrong way and the yeah. ball from Komon just went in, you know. Uh, oh, and a lot of people always get concerned. I think Chapamotang had some kind of illness, if I'm not mistaken, yes. so he wasn't involved. So a lot of people do kind of give Nagelsmann a little bit of grief when he uses Thomas Muller as a striker, either in isolation or next to somebody else whether it be Chapamotang or Sadio Mane, if he's fit, or Serge Gnabry, we've seen we've seen that look before. But he had made it clear before. I know it wasn't technically the Rook Runda. Technically, there was a few matches after the winter pause that were still a part of the Hin Runda, which I myself have gotten mixed up several times. But uh, before we resumed, let's say that after the holidays, um, Nagelsmann had made it clear he was going to mainly use Muller and Chapamotang at the striker position. But I thought, like you, like you said, uh, just a second ago, Schnitzel, I thought Muller was very effective in that space today. And I thought we were very, very good in tight spaces, creating little passing triangles to get out of pressure, uh, whether it was in attack or defense. I don't know if you felt the same uh, in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, 
Overall, the attack was very sharp and active, especially in the starting moments. I think Nagelsmann had a very clear plan because Wolfsburg is a club that has had a very good run of form recently. Just lost one of their last five games. They won the rest. So they looked very sharp and focused and obviously Nikol Kovac. So that's extra motivation for Bayern, you know, to show... And credit to him for making that change. I know. I don't know yeah, if the 100%. feed that you were watching on um, in uh, Germany showed the same thing, but uh, Maxence Lacroix, when he was subbed off, man, given that wall... Yeah, tunnel, it was a very beating, impactful substitution. He yes. did not look happy, but obviously it was his re- replacement, and Jakub Kaminski, who uh, got Volser, you know, on the score sheet in the 44th yeah, exactly. minute at the time. And I think it made it uh, 3-1 instead of 3-0. I think, I think uh, Wolfsburg were set up to win, and I think Kovac did a really good job, obviously. And I think the squad also looks really well drilled, and they have a lot of fight. At the same time, I think the way Bayern dominated in the first 30 minutes or so, no team in the world could have played them because they were in that sort of form, just sizzling. Kingsley Coman's first goal went in, uh, you can say, a bit fortuitously, but it was still a well-deserved Bayern lead. And oh, the yeah. second goal was sublime. And I and I think oh, I echo the sentiments of the entire fan base, the Bayern fan base, when I say that Joao Cancelo has been one of Bayern's best players so far. And it's yeah, just, been and just two the games. two matches he's been involved in. Exactly. Right. And Absolutely I think part of him coming off when he did had to do with that Kimmich uh, sending off. You know, we kind of had to restructure. Um, I do feel like that was a little bit soft, especially since Kimmich had not been fouling a lot after he was booked in the first half. But yeah, you know, I feel digress. like. And I, I don't know if you feel the same, Schnitzel. I don't know if uh, Nagelsmann's reaction where he was, uh, you know, smacking the seats on the bench. I don't know if he was reacting to thinking it was soft or just reacting to Kimmich even giving the ref a chance to make that call to send him off with the second yellow. No, uh, I think... Arnold, that little tussle. No, I think... I, I'm not sure, but I, I think it's more likely Nagelsmann was, Nagelsmann was mad at Kimmich because yeah. you don't get into such challenges after already being in a yellow card and being told off by the referee so many times. And... Kimish, the problem with him is he lets his emotions run out completely. And as a footballer, it's very important to keep your emotions in check on the pitch. Or Schnitzel. Was it a tactical masterclass? So now he misses Bauckham and he'll be fresh for you-know-what in the Champions League. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> the only way to bench Kimish, if you can't do it directly, just you know play him long enough to get a yellow card, a red card or something. <laughs> That's probably the reason why he did not substitute a midfielder for him. Maybe because that's like tactical 404. I don't know. Like that's 360, uh, 3D underwater chess or something. Like that's insane. Yeah. I mean, if that's super actually chess. True. Yeah. Super chess. Yeah. That, that's crazy. But like for real, uh, I am happy in a very sort of convoluted way of just expressing this that Kimish got a red card, but he's getting rested as a result because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we all know he runs himself into the ground every single game and that it's always better if he gets rested before the important stretch. So, yes, maybe a blessing in disguise. But that being said, I think that, uh, like I said, the Bayern attack was really bossing the first 30 minutes. And Thomas Müller was crucial for all the attacks. And he he did a stellar job with the third goal as well, the header. So I think they were doing really well up until the point when Wolfsburg conceded, which was sort of against the run of play. But they also fought really hard for that goal. So credit to them where it's due. They did not do Bayern any favors. The defense was subjected to a lot of pressure. And I think this is sort of a recurring problem with the Bayern, don't you think, that the defense 
whenever it's tested with a high pressure situation, the defenders more often than not, like for example, Benjamin Pavard in that situation, they switch off for a minute or two. And it doesn't make any sense because they play really well the rest of the game. And then for that one or two minutes, they switch off and they inevitably concede. It is really frustrating yeah. because as a club of Bayern stature, you have to be on your toes the entire game because a moment or two like those could cost you a tie. And against a team like PSG, who capitalize on every single situation, it'll be tough if the defense keeps doing this. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on the defense in general? Like, I thought Davies didn't have a good game. Yeah, and I think specifically, I know that on the commentary, they were talking about this, and I do think they were right. Um, Max Enslacroix, I don't think any Wolfsburg defender from that opening, like 25 to 30 minutes, covered themselves in glory with the way that they conceded three goals so quickly against Bayern. But I think Kovac saw that space in between behind uh, Jao Cancelo on that side. And that's why he put Kaminsky on. And it eventually, obviously, as we already discussed, paid dividends with him scoring. And I think it was the 40th minute. Um, I, I think that was the official timestamp. But I, I, I think I said it last week. I think most of the downfall just comes. I mean, it's a balance you have to strike. And I think I said something along the lines of the passes. If you're uh, it, it just has to do with the center backs and the wide backs pushing up, whether it's a back three like we saw in Mainz in the day of Papal Caldwin, where we actually recorded a clean sheet, uh, or today uh, in Wolfsburg, where we obviously didn't concede, or uh, sorry, didn't keep a clean sheet and conceded two goals that made things very, very nervy uh, and got let off on numerous occasions, the latest of which was Goretzka getting fouled in the box by Ridley Baku before Yannick Gerhardt made it three. Um, and that was like a very big sigh of relief when the VAR review deemed that that was a foul, which was the correct call. Um, but it was a little bit hectic. And you thought maybe, oh, my God, here we go. Another, you know, big lead blown from Bayern after Kimmich had gotten sent yeah, off. But um, yeah, I think it's just when when our defensive line pushes up, you ha those passes you either have to play the conservative or the safe pass and not force things. I think Upa Makano and Delict both are sometimes a little bit guilty of this. I think um, Davies did that quite a lot this game, which was so frustrating. Like his passing was so off. Yeah, even that one right at the end and stopped. Exactly. Matthew Sell was like to be still in our time, half. But he, All you he had to do was tap it too it hard. To him. And yeah. that's a fifth goal right there. But yeah, just, you know, blasted it way too close to Cohen Castiles. And, you know, it was a big let off for Wolfsburg in that sense, who were really, really committed to try and finding a third goal and potentially a fourth. But yeah, I do think, I mean, it's a balance you have to strike. And for me, those passes have to be right when, you know, your Delicks, Upamakanos, Benjamin Pavard, Josip Stanishitz, Alfonso Davies. Daily Blind when he's on Jao Cancelo, as we know, he gets very involved in the attack and you know is very comfortable uh, getting very very high up the pitch and sending in those crosses, which are you know it, it, someone in the comments during the live tweets was saying, is he going to now supplant Kimmich uh, for free kicks and corner kicks because his crosses are just so good? They're so perfect, uh, and, he, and, yeah, and you see always every match get plays to the targets. Him. And one exactly. thing that has really impressed me with Cancelo's uh, you know game so far at Bayern is that. Actually, it's more than one thing. It's actually many things. And uh, the most prominent ones being, number one, his crosses are the best at Bayern right now, easily. Because from fullbacks, I really miss seeing such crosses. The last person we had sending in those beautiful crosses was Kimmich himself when he played right back. And since then, we haven't yeah. had such a reliable crosser from the fullback position. And to be fair to Davies, he was really good at crossing that 2020 season. 
And after that, he's just fallen from the graces. And I don't know for what reason, but he just doesn't look as sharp anymore. But with Cancelo, he has instantly upgraded that position. And at the same time, he defended really well today. I'm not sure if it's like Nagelsmann's tweaking had something to do with this, maybe the tactics, but he defended really well and he did a really good job. And that leads me to believe that, you know, the sort of uh, comparison between Cancelo and uh, Alexander-Arnold that has been done in the Premier League over the years is more of a forced one by Liverpool fans. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I just think Cancelo's clear, to be very honest. especially Even just the understanding between he and like Pavard, like I said, those triangles, so calm getting out, uh, out of pressure in the back and yeah. he seems so comfortable doing it. I thought that there was a few players on Bayern squad today, like I thought this is Zane. Struggled a little bit when he got in some of those passing triangles. Yeah, exactly. Did you notice that whenever uh, the other Bayern players, like they struggled, they usually just pass to Cancelo, who would then find someone free on the right wing and would just send them Mm -hmm. a through ball or a ball from over the top. And it would be perfectly, you know, weighted just to land uh, right right to their feet. And they would then carry the ball forward. Like, it's almost like he's playing the role of the pressure reliever, which Joshua Kimmich used to do. Yeah. Oh, and we know uh, Guardiola with his teams, they very much like to play that way. Obviously, um, if I looked at the results correctly before <laughs> hopping on here, it looks like it pr- didn't work in uh, Essex North London today by the looks of things with a Harry Kane goal, giving Tottenham a 1-0 win. But but we know historically Pep likes to play that way, play out of the back, very neat and tidy with, you know, uh, Imeric Laporte, John Stones, Ederson, Kyle Walker, whoever's on the left-hand side. It used to be Cancelo quite often. Yeah, I mean, I if we start listing often. every Man City defender, we need a day, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, all of the memes of the Chelsea squad. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's like not get there. Right. Yeah, I, I need to. I need to take a year off from BFW if we're going to do that. You know, all the yeah. new signings. Seriously, just... with like eight and a half year contracts, you know, Todd Bowley's thinking yeah. it's, uh, you know, I the feel MLB like, out here. I feel like this is Todd Bowley's way of sort of, you know, filling his stadium. <laughs> I mean, if he can't get enough fans, then you just buy enough players to fill all the benches and all the, you know, empty seats yeah, in the seriously, stadium. Seriously, man. I mean, yeah. it's like you get an eight year contract. You get an eight year contract. How about you? Oh, 10 year contracts. Like, what are these numbers we're hearing? I think. But, but, Chelsea have spent uh, 750 million or 700 million or something something crazy like that in this one season. 700 seeing that million. and like none of them have scored yet. And then, you know, <laughs> what was our net spend for uh, Daily Blind, um, Zhao Cancelo, and Jan Sommer? Like, not that much at all. And look at how much they've all already Very given us. I, I would say Blind, maybe you could argue, has not been as impactful as the other two, but I think. We very much knew what his role was going to be when we but, brought him. Um, although I, I, I have what did you think of to Blin today? Before, I thought, I thought he was pretty he would, solid. Yeah, especially coming into a difficult situation and Nagelsmann, you could tell even when we only had three goals. I mean, that bit of a Musiala magic was just unreal. It seemed like the ball was like absolutely stuck to his foot, and I'm like, when he started that run and he kind of made that that turn and started to face the goal. Because remember, this all started with his back. Uh, to Wolfsburg and Castile's uh, goal, I was like, is he really going to? And then he is. I'm like, he's going to try it. And then it seemed like Wolfsburg at a certain point was just uh, a little bit too cautious to maybe give away a free kick and stabbing. And Musiala is obviously one of those players where you, if you stab, you better make sure you get it right or foul him because otherwise he's going to just nip, nip it around you just like he did and had like a half inch of space, half yard of space to get that shot away and buried it. And obviously it was that was just like typical... Foot. 
typical yeah. Musiala. And it's hilarious that it was in the Hinrunda that he scored a very similar goal against Wolfsburg at the Allianz Arena. I remember where he like, uh, you know, buoyed through a challenge, got like half fell, and then stayed yes. up. And yeah, went, just went through goal. and scored a goal. One of my favorite think, goals of the season, still uh, yes. up there with this one. It's funny that it's. I think this one goal. takes the cherry on the cake, especially because of how deep the move started. Like he got the ball yeah. so far back, and he carried it all the way up. And his dribbling was sublime. Like the ball was stuck to his foot throughout. And none of the Wolfsburg defenders could do any anything about it. And I think something that doesn't get enough mentions is that a lot of people, when they speak about Muziala, they're like, he doesn't have uh, a lot of pace. He's not the quickest. And that that doesn't make any sense because he is one of the quickest players Bayern has easily. Oh, and did and, you see how fast he was? Ball. And pace without the ball. And anybody who's played, especially myself, as someone who is 5'11 and with my cleats on, probably six feet, six one. When you <laughs> open up and you start to run, it is much easier to run fast and sprint without the ball than it is with the ball. Yeah. Um, and keeping the ball close to you like that. Like that is with the ball he's professionals really and especially a dribbler like Musiala make it look so easy, but it is not at all. Especially I in those tight spaces. That is exactly why I believe that Muziala can do excellently well, and we've also seen that uh, as a winger as well, not just as an attacking midfielder. So, say if we were to, you know, groom uh, Paul Vanner to be uh, Thomas Müller's heir, right? Uh, the heir to the and congrats to him picking up his first ever Bundesliga yellow. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <time>. I mean, <laughs> milestone for him. Yeah, pretty, pretty. That was probably the only thing of significance he did today. But <laughs> otherwise, I mean, I it was he's... raining yellows today. I, I remember tweeting, yeah. what is the record for yellows in, in a game? I'm sure it's a revered Derby or a Der Klassiker or something from, you know, the mid 90s or late 90s or something. But I mean, today he felt like it was up there. Despite all the yellows, though, I felt that the ref did a really good job. I thought he was mm-hmm. really good today. Like, usually the quality is appalling not as appalling as in the epl obviously but like it's still pretty bad but today the referee was actually solid and i think a lot of people a bundesliga fans too they call it uh bayern dusel i think where bayern just you know it's kind of like uh, almost like favoritism for certain nba players where they're always going to get uh favorited in the calls and they think that bayern get yeah they hate calls. us today i thought it was pretty blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> yes but but yeah the, the, the point here is that um I think, yes, there were quite a few yellow cards. But in the, in the second half, I think Bayern gave it their all. They fought really, really hard, unlike uh, a certain uh, red-colored team from the UK, which is not really fighting much these days. But <laughs> And they're not Arsenal. I'm talking about the other red-colored team. Not United either. <laughs> like, the hell got beat by Everton? I was just, like, uh, waking up. No, after uh, they're, they're like, managed by saying? a German <laughs> Another team. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other team. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, so a lot of fight, a lot of grit. Jan Zoma was spectacular with that last-minute save. And I think Delict yeah. made some fantastic tackles today. I was super impressed. We know yeah, he's even not that the last fastest. one when the offside flag had gone. Yeah, exactly. I, I even at the replay, I thought that was close. Borderline onside. That was spectacular, that tackle. And I think he's definitely not the fastest, obviously, and he's definitely not the fittest either. But overall, the way he makes up for it with his awareness, with the way he reads the game, it's 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 fantastic. And I think Mojaman Pava could learn a thing or two from him, you know, in terms of like, bro, just you're not a center back. <laughs> just 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 stop, you know. I mean, it's it's not working out. And I think 
he's pressure, pressuring the club and Nagelsmann to play him more at centre-back. And it's also the Upa situation, you know, that Upa Makano is injured and it, it's kind of unfortunate. So there's no other choice. But it, Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what the dynamic would be like if Masrawi didn't get pericarditis, you know, on the exactly. of the Qatar World Cup with um, Morocco and if Hernandez had never torn his ACL. We, I think we'd if, be seeing different looks. If Hernandez hadn't torn his ACL and if Mazraoui didn't suffer from pericarditis, uh, Pavard would be sitting on the bench. Yeah, you'd have to think so. And this opportunity is kind of uh, served on a silver platform. You don't obviously want to condone or you know find good reasons for you know Mazraoui and Hernandez being out. Like Obviously, it was a huge blow for us. Both players were doing so incredibly well before yeah. getting hurt. Uh, at the World Cup, or you know, hurt and then coming with down with the condition, I should say, in Masrawi's case. But tailor made for Pavard, obviously, as someone who's made it very clear that he prefers center back as opposed to right back. And yeah, the now, thing especially is, with the fact that we brought in Cancelo and Blind, who could play on either of those two sides, respectively. Exactly. I feel like with Benjamin Pavard, like before, I, I'm talking about when he first joined, and then the 2019-20 season, even 2021 season. I actually liked him as a player especially because he was very solid in defense and he offered a lot of stability and he used to combine quite well with the forwards. So at a point of time, I really liked his game and I appreciated him a lot. That the stuff he It was almost you know, on the heels of the 2018 World Cup where I think he had to play right back a lot. Exactly. And when he joined from Stuttgart, there he mainly played center back and then had to play a lot of right back at Bayern uh, he in was that first season. One of those players who was silently effective like not too much, uh, not a man for too many words, but at the same time, his performances on the pitch uh, were like really, really solid and at worst still quite solid. Like he didn't have any atrocious games uh, those those seasons, but uh, his attitude has changed quite a bit from that time till now. And I also think that his mind is elsewhere as well. He's already probably set on leaving by and he yeah, I mean, he's made it clear that on the door yeah yeah and 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 not just that i don't like the whole you know sort of the players should not decide what their best position is that's for the coach to do you have mm-hmm. to play in whatever position the coach gives you right and if playing at the right back position serves vine best then that's what you do you don't complain i mean exactly. we have seen that with so many players over the years alfonso davies took the left back position he wanted to play as a winger, but he's still doing really yeah, well and, as a fullback, right? Yeah, in the MLS for the Vancouver Whitecaps, he was a left winger. A exactly. lot of people uh, forget that because he's so solidified that left back position at, at Bayern and becomes like an insurance policy with how quickly he can get back and quell counterattacks with his pace alone. Exactly. And yeah, so I mean, there's so many examples of players at Bayern who have changed their position to help the club. Even David Alaba, he wanted to be a midfielder for a very long time. But yeah, and he then never got to do that. To the uh, quote-unquote defensive chief under Hansi. Exactly. Kler. He was left back, then he was a center back, and so on. Never got to play midfielder, but never cried about it. And then you have uh, Benjamin Pavard. But that being said, today I thought he was solid at center back. But as the game progressed, he really, really undid himself. Like that was appalling in the second half, to be very honest. And Delict had to save some of his blushes, or else it would have ended poorly. You know. So I'm not concerned because Pavard is gone. But if Pavard leaves, then I would really love to see if Bayern somehow buy Cancelo because, I mean, imagine a fullback rotation featuring 
Cancelo, Davies, and Mazraoui. And the gr- great thing about this deal is Cancelo can play both left and right back. So it wouldn't really be compromising on anyone's minutes. The rotation could be mm-hmm. done in a three-way rotation so all players get you know their minutes and it's managed. Yeah. He, he's well-suited in either a back three or a back four, as we've literally seen. Exactly. So win over Mainz and then the win uh, at Wolfsburg today. And and you know we just have to sort of market Pavard to like Barcelona or Chelsea and milk <laughs> 40, 40, 45 million from them, and uh, then possibly sell. I, yeah. I I'm not sure if Bayern is considering selling Marcel Zabitzer, but I think if we get and this really hurts me to say it because you know how big uh, Zabitzer fan I am. Yeah, you are. You I are. Really, a big yeah, fan. this just really pains me. But since we're getting Conrad Leimer, who's another Austrian, and the midfield is going to be crowded next season. If we get the right kind of offer for Zabitzer, I'm talking somewhere upwards of 20 million because below that, it's not worth selling him. We, I'd rather we keep him for the midfield depth because and if Kimmich was, does something, yeah, stupid. Cancelo's uh, buy option was it 70, 70 million. 70 million, but there is yeah. the option of negotiation, and I'm pretty sure Brazo can work his magic on that one as well. So yeah, and it seems like with the falling out he's had with Guardiola, there's not much of a future there. But exactly, you know, I could be wrong, and I mean, his the only downside is with for City. I mean, I, I think mean, that gives I, us I the, a lot the of leverage. The downside is they'll be firm on their stance because, especially if his market value increases. I mean, if he continues on in the same vein, especially in the Champions League, like if we get past PSG and he's an integral part of that, like his market value will continue to skyrocket. And f- same with Pavard. I mean, the silver lining of the situation, like he's going to be forced to be playing more, especially if Upamakano, like today, isn't available and with Hernandez and Masrawi out the latter of which it sounds like he's uh, on the mend and going to be working his way back into training and then back into the squad. But if Pavard strings together positive performance, we could kind of like milk the market value for him. Um, but I think that remains to be seen, you know, a I lot think, of football in a short, in a uh, short window yeah. and then over a long window, assuming that we keep progressing in the champions league and they have April call. One person who's going to be grinning widely when listening to this podcast is I need no name from Korean football works because <laughs> if there's one thing we've come to learn, uh, he has not uh, hidden his, uh, you know, wish or rather his uh, desire to see Bavard out yeah. as soon as possible. <laughs> you know, get that guy. He's, out. he's always been on that bandwagon. I mean, you've got to give him credit for being uh, consistent at least. At, at this point in time, though, that seems like the best outcome for both parties because. Point number one, Bavard has already has his head uh, hell-bent on you know, going outside, leaving the club. And also, we do have the option of replacing him more than adequately with some of the best right-backs in the world. So I think this is the time when we bid our goodbyes and you know send him off. Like, thank you for your service, but if you're not willing to play for the badge and play for the position that has been designated for you by the coach, then you're not a Bayern player anymore. It's as simple as and that. And I mean, I guess a little bit of respect if he's approaching, I think he said something uh, in French outlets, like I've won everything there is to possibly win at Bayern, which fair, that is true. Like literally won the World Cup, joined us from Stuttgart, and then won every single possibly trophy, every single possible trophy there is to win. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. Like if you're going to PSG, good luck with, or rather QSG. Q dollar sign G, whichever way you'd like to call it. Uh, <laughs> good luck with winning anything other than maybe the Liga, which is pretty much a one horse race. So yeah. And in speaking of PSG, it's like what is going on? Like, I am not in. Think, uh, <laughs> Christophe Galtier is like a little bit of mind games. Like okay, like right now, if it was like uh, 
I don't want to say gun to your head, but like you had to place a bet on, you know, roulette table or something. Mbappe, is he playing or is he not? Are they are they like throwing us through throwing a spanner in the works for us or whatever expression you want to use? Are they playing mind games with us here? I think you think he's actually genuinely going to miss one of the legs. So the thing about uh, PSG is I don't trust anything that club does. And I I just don't mean like just financial stand or like point of view. I mean like in every single like from every single angle. And uh, I although I believe that uh, Mbappe is probably going to miss the first leg because it's going to look really bad on them if they you know published on their Twitter page that he will be out for three weeks, which is way more than the fourteenth of February. That's probably till maybe the February twenty uh, third or twenty fifth. Yeah, and he comes like two weeks in advance, and he just features in that game. It it, it looks like a very big like. Might and I by say, the way, for uh, them, it looks like this weekend it took like a messy wonder strike to beat uh, Toulouse, who I think are in the league on standings pretty yes. far down there. Yep, I mean, uh, I don't really consider uh, the league a, a real league, so pardon me for uh, you know sort of not showing any interest whatsoever. And well, you better hope of- Uber Eats doesn't hear this. I don't know if that's a thing in Germany where you are, but they might ban you. Yeah, if you ever want to get food delivered? To <laughs> I you. might have to. Yeah, I might have to get my food delivered from some other outlet then, because uh, I don't. But believe I, it or not, there's no shortage of those. Uh, even Uber if Eats, yeah, even DoorDash, if Uber Eats bans me for life, that's not gonna uh, you know sort of uh, bully me into watching the league game because uh, <laughs> I don't think anything is. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Besides the point, uh, what I was trying to say is, yeah, I think Mbappe is injured, and if he does. So Nagelsmann has a point. I think the point he's trying to make is that even if Mbappe is out, we're not going to take any chances and we're going to prepare for the game as though Mbappe is still playing. Yeah, exactly. And from a coach standpoint, that is the right thing to do because Bayern obviously have faced PSG two times in the past three seasons. It feels like they're just all it's a so yeah. It feels like there's so much history between us that's been compacted into like such a short space of time. It's really annoying because they are really a sort of difficult opponents all the time. And it's really, it, it feels bad playing them almost every single season. And we, we know how, you know, uh, I, I think it was Leandro Paredes or, uh, yeah, I think it was Paredes and Neymar, how they mocked Kimmich after the infamous oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. victory for Bayern, which still ended up in a loss because of the 3-3 aggregate scoreline uh PSG uh, progressed on away goals and they mocked Kemish. Like that, the whole situation left a bad taste in my mouth. And I didn't really think we would face PSG so soon. But I mean, UFA keeps surprising us. Hats off on that amazing script. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but, but, but yeah, like uh, I'm, I'm fed up that we're facing them again. And they have arguably one of the best attacks in the world. And they have Lionel, Lionel Messi, they have Neymar. And uh, some amazing world-class players as well. And their midfield has Verratti in there, such an engine. Uh, the goalkeeper is amazing. I mean, that squad is world-class. And if Mbappe features, even in the second leg, they have a chance of progressing because he is such a difference maker. And I think Nagelsmann is on the right track here. If it's mind games, I wouldn't be surprised if Mbappe still features because, I mean, to face Bayern Munich, some clubs just like to pull every trick in their sleeve. And this is one of them, you know, just pretending, not not pretending rather, but like overblowing an injury situation and making it seem like a player is out for an extended period when he's not. But I mean, I really hope Mbappe is out. But that being said, we still have Messi and Neymar to worry about, which is a massive problem. 
Just looking at their schedule too, Schnitzel, uh, I think it does favor us. Just taking a quick look, they have Marseille, which uh, is referred to in France as Le Classique, a very, very heated derby in the uh, Coupe de France. (laughs) And then also uh, Monaco, who are, I think, in the top four. Alexander Nubel, shout out to him for staying there. They've been on on a decent run, and they have those two matches before they play us, and we just have uh, Valafal Bachem that lies in wait uh, next weekend before the 14th. Yeah, Um, maybe this is also a browser masterclass, you know. Alexander Nubel wins uh, Monaco the game with his amazing saves, and then the demoralized PSG come to, you know, crushing defeat against Bayern Munich. That'd that would be, be nice. Awesome. And I, yeah. I should add that one is in Monaco uh, and not Paris. So. That's fantastic. That's even better than, you know, they have a, a, the home advantage and I hope they can pull this win off because we would need every bit of support and luck we can get to progress against PSG who are definitely always a Champions League contending team. But that's as far as they've gone so far. And I don't know <laughs> about you, but I always love having the home leg second. Yeah. And we do this time, which is... Yep. I always uh, feel that that's an advantage. It, it, it's going to be massive, but also we need to make sure that the first leg gives us a favorable outcome. And I would say a win or a draw would be favorable, but a loss, absolutely not. Like we have to make sure that we either score as many goals as possible or keep things super tight at the back because I'm really afraid, you know, if... Pavard is going to be facing Messi and Neymar. I am not ready for that conversation. And I also hope Davies ups his game because he has not been so good recently. And this needs to be talked about. And I'm not sure if it's about load management, if it's about some issues he's facing, maybe fitness. Because uh, recently, I think some reports came out questioning his attitude and, you know, Davies, uh, I don't know, fitness during sessions and stuff like that. So... I'm not sure I'm super concerned about all that, but we need him at his A game because whenever Davies has been fit, he has been a force to work on, especially in the Champions League. Yeah, I so, think, I mean, some of it could do, could have to do with like the, the different looks uh, just ahead of him, whether it's Kimmich, Goretzka, Gravenberg, uh, you know, Sabitzer when he was still with us, and then on the left front, Kingsley Coman, Gnabry, Musiala, because we have seen some rotations as far as what's just ahead of him. I don't know, because I, I don't know if it's you. I feel like most of his downfall seems to be with like distribution and decision making, not as much actual defending. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I right think spaces. so too. I think his uh, yeah, passing so has been really bad. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. More so, the offensive aspects of a, of his game that we've grown so accustomed to being very sharp have taken a little bit of a decline. Uh, while his defending has a uh, you know sort of stayed the same, if you will, which you know he obviously sets the bar so high with those recovery runs. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, that being said, uh, I think it's time to move to the next part of our topic since we've covered the game extensively, and that is the Neuer situation. Yes. So it seems like after what was like a lot of goalkeeping musical chairs, after we found out that Neuer got his leg break, there was a lot of negotiating with Minchin Gladbach to try and get Jan Sommer, which we ultimately did. Alexander Nubel had made it clear he didn't want to be recalled from his loan spell at AS Monaco, where he's pretty much the bonafide number one there. Uh, and they're in the top four currently with a big match against PSG to come, uh, as we previously mentioned. But and part of Nubel's reasoning, right, as we have found out, was because he felt that he was sort of ignored and left by the wayside by former goalkeeping coach Tony Topalovic, who was Manuel Neuer's right-hand man pretty much 
all throughout his career, he had been at Bayern for over a decade uh, right at Neuer's side. And Nagelsmann even uh, seemed to be at odds with uh, Topalovic, uh, as we now know retrospectively, in the wake of Topalovic being sacked. And it, very, very odd schnitzel. Like, can you imagine being Sommer? Joins, has a couple of training sessions with uh, Topalovic, and then all of a sudden, a few days later, he's gone. And he's sacked from the club. And now Tom Stark is your coach, all in the span of just like a few days. Yes. And it's, it's a weird and situation. It, it and, is. It's very, very bizarre. And I think, yeah, honestly, uh, the, the club must have seen a problem with it to actually go ahead and sack a coach who has been around for so long, as long as even Neuer has been here. And do you I think, think this decision was like pre-Zomer even joining the club? I, like I, I think percolating. so, 100%, especially because of how the Alexander Nubel talks broke down, especially because this played such a massive role. And Nubel has gone out to say on record, I believe, that uh, Topalovic has been giving you know Neuer more attention and has been focusing on him more in the training sessions. And he has sort of been neglecting the younger players. And these reports have also come from some of the youngsters in the Bayern campus, Right some of the ones that have trained with the first team. It's not just yeah. with Nubel. It's a recurring issue. And that is unacceptable because as a goalkeeping coach, you have to give attention. You have to give preference to all the goalkeepers. You have to treat them all with respect. And you also have to sort of focus on their development and not just be Manuel Neuer's sidekick. That is unacceptable. And you're a servant of the club first before serving any player specifically. So I think what Bayern did was right in that regard, especially in light of all these reports that came out. But that being said, I also think Neuer shouldn't have gone out and made those statements. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, just this massive interview from The Athletic. And he talks about a number of topics. You know, he also talks about the armband issue um, right with uh, the German national team at the World Cup in Qatar. Um, but a, a lot of context for what we're talking about, he did kind of come out and say that he was completely blindsided and shocked by the decision, by Bayern's decision to sack Topalovic with immediate effect. And, you know, he kind of spoke about it and said that that was one of the most brutal things he'd ever experienced uh, in his career. Because as we all know, Topalovic was really his right hand man, had worked with him, as I said, for over a decade. Uh, and he, he, from his point of view, obviously from everybody else looking at the dynamic of how they worked uh, and obviously goalkeepers trained together. So, I mean, Christian Freuchtel would have been there, Ron Torben Hoffman before he went on loan uh, to Sunderland, Alexander Newell after we purchased him from Schalke and Ophia, which seemed to be just such a weird, like it just never worked out. Sven Ulreich, like they all worked together and Newell seemed to be the one spearheading the, the narrative and more and more people were finding are saying the same thing about Topalovich favoritism, right? Uh, towards Neuer and the the senior goalkeeper because he had been there for so long and almost just seemed like he was just there to take care of Neuer uh, as opposed to all of the goalkeepers and to the point where Newbel felt like he was really getting ignored by him. So and, exactly, and then you know it, it it's always like there's two sides to every argument, right? Uh, there's like a German saying too. I don't know how you say it, but it's like everything has an end except for a sausage. Yeah. It has two. Uh, exactly. Not yeah. that it directly applies to this situation. I think that's more for like making the best uh, of a bad situation. If, yes. I'm, if I'm recalling correctly, you know, German experts can 
tell me if I'm wrong or at least partially right. But from Neuer's perspective, he was saying he always felt like Tony was a team player and that's how he always saw it. Um, and he'd been working for, with him for, for so long and really, really helped him off the pitch too in his private private life. But uh, and, and he kind of said, you know, it sounds like I'm not being objective, but that's how he felt. And he just really felt that it was a massive blow and it was something that he did not think was going to come. Uh, and, I mean, it's also like we've heard different things. Yeah. Right? Neuer's representatives, they've come out and said his injury is progressing well. But at the same time, shortly after, it kind of shortly before that, it had come out that perhaps Neuer's uh, entourage had been slightly downplaying of the severity and the extent of Neuer's injury uh, because mm-hmm. they want to very much reinforce that sentiment that they feel he's going to be fully fit and ready to be back uh, for July 1st for Bayern's preseason preparations for the 23-24 camp. Yeah, but as but far as this season is concerned, yeah, that's pointless. And I don't I don't know why that should influence the current state of things, which are also getting somewhat dicey because now there's an even bigger question. Is Bayern even going to keep him around for that long? For us yeah, to find there's out. a lot of conversation about it. You know, is this the ultimate exactly. end of Manuel Neuer? Uh, I think Oliver Kahn gave a retort to that as well. He came out and spoke against Neuer's statements, and he said that uh, Neuer making such statements were unacceptable, especially you know, a player, a member of the club, and someone who is supposed to set an example as a captain as well. Him creating yeah, more, especially since unrest. what I was I was just kind of looking back at some of his quotes. And, you know, uh, how much Topalovich had helped him in his private life. So maybe keep, uh, okay, okay, the sentiment on Instagram saying, you know, thank you for everything is fine. I don't think there's anything against that. Any other player had the right to do that, you know, especially maybe more the veteran players like Thomas Muller, Joshua Kimmich, who have been there longer Absolutely. than some of the other players. But, yeah, the interview, um, maybe the timing was like a little bit off or maybe just keep those things private or have kept the Topalovich stuff completely out of it. Because it's very new, it's very fresh. It's a now like an off-pitch distraction because a lot of Bayern fans. There's going to be the dis- this discussion around you know one of the I think easily top top five greatest goalkeepers of all time, let alone just for Bayern or the Bundesliga the best, yeah. or European football. So he's so much uh, a part of this club in massive, massive ways, and so closely ingrained in the Bayern Munich DNA. But you know now uh, everything, like we said, everything does come to an end except for a sausage it has two but it, i mean he's not going to play forever in the same way that thomas muller isn't going to play forever for Bayern munich and both of these guys have uh kind of dreamed about ending their career and retiring with fc Bayern München. obviously probably a little bit keep uh, easier excuse me to do so physically as a keeper than an outfield player uh, but yeah, just maybe have kept that in private because now there's just so much talk and you know it's also a little bit unfair to jan sommer I mean, he agreed to come here in the situation knowing that Neuer would probably be back and, and on, and on top of that, at the very least. By yeah, the and on top of, of that, season. I really liked Jan Sommer's mentality in that he said, I will not settle for a number two spot. I'm going to fight for my spot, right? And for someone who's so determined and someone who he took so many pains to sign, it certainly doesn't seem very welcoming if and who pained us with the amount of saves he made against us exactly yeah yeah it doesn't make any sense for the goalkeeping coach right to be so blatantly uh favoring one of the goalkeepers and neglecting the others rather i mean the reports are quite damning i'd say they did it they don't sound nice and i I don't think Bayern staff are in the wrong to have sacked him because they have 
sacked or rather fired uh, members of the Bayern fraternity, the Bayern management for lesser yeah. things. I mean, oh, exactly. yeah. simply because, uh, for example, uh, I don't know, like in the, in the past, uh, Niko Kovac couldn't keep the dressing room together, couldn't, was uh, like a few players complained, he was sacked. And Ancelotti, simply because the training sessions weren't intense enough. I mean, those are the, that is the type of, you know, uh, quality that Bayern expects from its players, from its management. That is the type of expectations it has on, you know, the staff. So yeah, and if you're a goalkeeping policy, coach, like, you know, some youth coaches have been asked for exactly you know, uh, abuse type of issues. 100%. Uh, yes. That, that, that uh, happened. The, the chef, like, I think even he was tied up in some kind of scandal. So they let yes. him go. I'm pretty Didn't sure. That, uh, the, the coach sacking, didn't it happen sometime in 2019, 20, right? Like somewhere yeah, around somewhere, that period. Yeah, somewhere yes. around there where yeah. more and more people had come out and spoke out against him. Yeah, so, I mean, for a club that's so uh, that has so many values and is so grounded, I believe that uh, doing something like this is the right move, especially considering uh, how uh, things look. Like, it, it's it's not even like this information is uh, hidden or some people, it's a matter of opinion. It's actually, like, been stated by the goalkeepers themselves. I'm talking about the youth goalkeepers, Alex Newbill, who came out and said it. I think... Uh, obviously, Bayern is, at the end of the day, a club, a football club, and they're bigger than any individual player. And in this case, I don't think Manuel Neuer did himself or his career any favors by coming out and publicly giving an interview. And I don't know what it's about with Bayern players and giving you know boneheaded interviews. Like even Benjamin Pavard, right before uh, Robert Lewandowski's uh, Ballon d'Or run, he goes on to say that in 2000, I'm talking about 2020-21 season, not not even recently, like that time when he was the undisputed deserving candidate. Uh, he yeah. was asked who the world's best striker was and he went on to say Karim Benzema. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, I mean, that among other things. It's it's just, there are some things, but that that's totally different because at least it's a matter of opinion. In this case, it's like you're going against the club, right? It's almost as, uh, it's not as scathing, but it's almost as bad as the Ronaldo Pierce Morgan interview. So that, that, that kind of ruined Man United, you know, during that period. So I, I don't think. And, yeah. And it's interesting because like I, from Norris perspective, I mean, just because he's gone, like that doesn't, I mean, you have your personal sentiment and how you feel about it, but that doesn't like, it's not like you're not done playing. Like you're still exactly. for Ronaldo's situation. He, had, I think I feel like he had done those interviews because he knew the time was up and he felt so disrespected by a club that had been such a prevalent part of his wonder years when he was coming up and when he came from sporting Lisbon and before he went to Real Madrid. Um, so you're like, yeah, yeah, Neuer, it's like you have time left and you're still fully expected to come back in and compete for the number one spot for both Bayern and for Germany. So, yeah, uh, you know, don't, I, I mean, it don't seems, burn bridges. you know, they say, they say sometimes the difference between, uh, reacting and responding, and it feels like he's reacted more than he's responded. Absolutely, yes. I'd be curious to see like when the actual interview took place, but yeah, I mean, not, not I think, the best look from Neuer in his career. And I think uh, Oliver Kahn's retort is actually quite diplomatic. Like he doesn't, you know, vehemently oppose him, or he doesn't say something that he shouldn't have said. He just makes a very basic point, and that is, as a club player. Why are you acting like a Schalke Ultra, right? Why are you like <laughs> why are you trying to be against Bayern? Like I understand that you might have some things that concern you and Tapalovic personally. 
you might have liked the guy or maybe shared a relationship with him in that sense, like a very strong one on the pitch and maybe off the pitch as well. But that doesn't mean that you call out the club for doing something that is completely in the discretion of the club. The, the, I mean, that's as stupid as calling the club out. Imagine players started calling the club out for transfers. Like imagine Benjamin Pavard started, you know, calling Bayern out for signing Cancelo when he can play right back. That's, that's where we are right now. And no player has, you know, that... Uh, you can say authority to do that. Like you just, you just cannot, and you shouldn't. You should know your place in the club. So I think I really hope the situation is resolved, and I don't think, hopefully, this is the end of the time for Manuel Neuer at Bayern. And I really hope I'm right. But if this deteriorates even further, then it's not hard to contemplate that maybe not this season, but maybe next summer he might be out. Yeah, and I don't mean just regress to a, a second choice goalkeeper role i mean like leave the club transfer out somewhere yeah i mean the end is going to come eventually and you know it's not up to us to dictate i mean it's up to himself Bayern staff the coaches and respectively hansi flick and uh the germany staff and that's their decision to make and uh just as you were saying the the age-old sentiment is like you're you're playing for the badge, not the name on the back. The the 100%. badge is significantly more important. I know, obviously, we have FC Bayern mentioned on the back of most of our kits. So, in that case, the top of the back uh, as well. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's the sentiment you have to remember. No one's bigger than the club, regardless of if you're you know, a seasoned veteran like Manuel Neuer and Thomas Muller, Joshua Kimmich, you know, some of the other guys. So Unless you're like uh, I guess that's where, <laughs> Yeah, where you can just decide the next manager and pretty much all decisions. Yeah, Basically exactly. like a joint uh, superstar slash sporting director. and President Mbappe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, we've covered pretty much everything we wanted to on the agenda today. And it's been pretty awesome, you know, doing another podcast with this infamous slash maybe overly famous duo. Maybe that's why they hate us because they're the best. Slash newly equipped with a like sustainable laptop that's actually quick and I don't give you any Yeah, headaches. finally. Yes. I yeah. can literally just zip down after the game's over in this case or zip down like two minutes after you, uh, you give me the heads up that we're ready to go and we're recording within Yeah, minutes. I think we need to give uh, the, the listeners a little more context as to just how important this has been. Like, Tom had a very ancient laptop before this, and it used to malfunction before every single pod. And, oh, yes. And it took ages to start. So it was yeah. about us organizing a time to start the podcast, and then we had to wait for an hour or two. And that's when you were like plus 10 or plus 11 in IST versus uh, Exactly, CE. yes. So it was even so more aggressive. It was like so I'm keeping 12, him up when he's like, you know, he's got school yeah. and exams to study for at you know, midnight. <laughs> And it's gingerly over here, just like, you know, uh, 11 in the morning or 12 noon. I'm like, okay, lazy Sunday. All right, computer taking, <laughs> taking forever. And then all of a sudden, you'll be like, oh, by the way, you need to update this and update this while your computer's Tom out slow. here gambling oh, have my fun. life. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, man. It has yeah, been a life so changer. So shout that has out been, to, uh, uh, honestly, Lenovo life changing yoga computer, because uh, that's what this is called, I believe. And no, this that's is not nice. a uh, paid sponsorship. <laughs> But but yeah, I mean, uh, sure, why not? Uh, for for if Lenovo is listening, I mean, feel free to sponsor us. I mean, that'd be pretty awesome. And yeah, we also absolutely. make sure you get uh, Tom laptop mentions every single podcast. You know, thanks to Lenovo, yes. you're able to function smoothly or something. Yes, something if they if they if, 
They shine the Bucks. I will do a live read for Lenovo 100% because I know uh, just as badly as Chuck wants to do a live read for Manscaped. <laughs> Chuck Chuck is really good at those. It, it, it it's is. Pretty, yeah, yeah. I have heard his live reads. The man the man is good at it. I uh, want I I feel like we should just give him different uh different brands and <laughs> different like, you know, oddities that he could do a live read for because I would I would listen to it and probably Probably be in tears laughing like I was the first time I heard him doing the live read for the betting hotline, I believe it was. Yeah, just minting money out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, this was awesome. Thank you, Tom, for joining me on this podcast. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, as always, feel free to like, rate, share, subscribe to us on any and all podcasting platforms of your choice. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, I don't know, SoundCloud, Megaphone, any other podcasting platforms that you use that I haven't mentioned. And as we always like to say, for the aliens out there who are streaming us using radio waves or whatever frequency, uh, make sure to send us your alien messages or maybe just leave us a comment on where we in FB works. We have some really good linguistic, uh, you know, professionals like uh, John Dillon, uh, for those of you who may not uh, remember intergalactic yeah. language give exactly. us give us the opportunity he, he would he would absolutely crack the code for any and all <laughs> languages so we have you covered on that line as well so make sure to also read our articles on Bavarian football works and make sure to give all these guys a follow on twitter whenever possible our twitter handle is uh, at Bavarian fb works so make sure to check that out as well and uh, until the next podcast thank you once again for joining us feeling dank und auf wiedersehen <laughs>